0: Something interesting is sure to happen. Well, I think you ought to tell me who you are first. Mr. Rabbit, then why don't you ask the
1: question?
0: Goodness, this is quite extraordinary. Would you tell me,
1: please, which
0: way I ought to go? Day, turning into the most curious adventure I've ever had. Welcome to the Alice in Wonderland podcast. We're back for another episode and I want to remind our listeners that this is a place for you to let your sense of wonder, imagination and most importantly, your curiosity loose. We get lots of amazing guests on this podcast and today um, I have an amazing guest for you as well. So I'm joined by Anita Bentata. So Anita is an advocate for for women um, and helping them activate their self-love, especially when they find themselves in a toxic or an abusive relationship. And she's the author of the book, The Wolf in the Suit. Uh, And this is her personal journey or an account of her personal journey and the insights that she gained uh, through escaping from that relationship I'm assuming because I haven't read the book but we're going to talk more about some of this as we get going. So, let's get
1: curious. Welcome welcome Anita. Thank you. It's great to be here and I love your intro because curiosity I always talk about curiosity and it's such an important aspect of being alive and awake in our situation and gathering information and so vital. So I'm always, whenever I'm doing my talks, I always invite people to become curious about certain things so that we can expand our awareness about what's going on. It's a beautiful gift to be able to have and a lot of people, unfortunately, aren't curious. (laughs) Yes, and it's so life-giving and enhancing to be curious and it takes us out of what we already know and if we just always stay with what we already know, then we're just on repeat and it is hard to have that wonder when we just are in a habit mode. I actually was out for dinner last weekend and the young waiter that served us, I just felt so sad when he was talking because he was already predicting the way the world worked instead of having that wonder and that curiosity and creating his own pathways. So yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, and it's really been a real staple for me in my life as well. Um, just that curiosity, being brought up a certain way. Well, you know, can we be curious? Are there other ways that can to lead to an extraordinary and a fulfilled life? But we're not here to talk about me. We're here <laughs> to talk about you. So, what I'd love to, and this is a question I ask all of my all of my guests, and the question is, I'm. I want you to imagine that I'm Alice, a seven-year-old girl, skipping my way through Wonderland. I've already tumbled down the rabbit hole and I bump into Benita, oh, Benita Anita Bentata along the way. You're sitting there on a, on a big mushroom or something and I say, hey, Anita, what is it that you do? What, 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 what's your purpose here in Wonderland? What do, what do you do? How would you respond to a seven-year-old child?
1: Oh, I've got, I'm getting goosebumps. I just love that. Uh, for my immediate response was let's go off and play together and just be in wonder of how exciting life is. And I guess I, I think that's what I also do with women because as well as talking in my book about my personal experience, part two of my book is me talking as a psychotherapist about my experience. And so I help women stay connected to their instinct and their wonder and their sense of adventure and not let past toxic relationships define them or limit them or structure how they feel or what their choices are. So I'd very much be saying to to Alice, we are so wise as children and I help grown up women keep that. <laughs> so we stay connected to our inner wisdom and so, our playfulness. I, I love that. And
0: I love what you're saying there about connecting to our inner wisdom and almost like our inner child as well. So from your experience, because you've got your personal experience, but you've also have your 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 credentials and the studies that you've done as a psychotherapist, what is it that you think starts to lead us off the path of being being intuitive, listening to that, that
1: instinct, what, what could cause that to happen for us? I think, of course, we all have our individual experiences, so there's gonna be layers of difference for everybody. But if I'm talking generally, as a girl, I, I believe there's certain layers that we all get filtered by, no matter what our childhood is like. And I started organically telling the story of Little Red Riding Hood to my clients years ago. And I spoke about how we get taught as a girl, like Little Red Riding Hood, to be kind and forgiving and helpful and to take on things that are emotionally too big for us, just as Little Red Riding Hood did. Because to go through the woods to the next village to a sick grandmother is a big task for a little girl to do. and. So she goes out in wonder into the world, but she's not taught how to negotiate the wolves out in the world. So she responds just with what's in her basket of what she's taught. And we're not taught or celebrated or reflected back and allowed to be fierce and to affect others. We're we're encouraged, you know, from that filter of patriarchy that, influences families and religion and culture and so many layers but also as a female when we're under stress we have an involuntary stress response that's unique as a female I'm not sure if you know about no, it. no
0: we're going to go down that rabbit hole right now by the sound yes.
1: it, <laughs> yeah oh I'm, I'm this is what I'm really passionate about bringing information to to people men and women about how our brain, how our body works and what happens in our involuntary responses consciously and unconsciously. And when women are stressed, I should backtrack a little bit. The fight, flight, freeze response that most people are aware of was only tested on men. And it was just assumed that women have the same responses. And so Dr. Shelley E. Taylor spent many, many, many years researching to see what happens for women. And we do have those stress responses as well, but we've got an additional one. So if you think about the man's response for survival is fight the tiger to protect the tribe the female response activated by the oxytocin and the estrogen levels is the tending instinct, tend, mend, and befriend. And it's all about looking after, keeping the tribe together, repairing. And it's so that the tribe can survive um, not the self. And so when we've got that layer and we've got patriarchy layer, there's not enough that celebrating as a female to be different and to be powerful and fierce. And so I think that is a huge defining thing for so many females that we, we reach a certain age. And I'm trying to remember the name of that author that interviewed, you know, hundreds of teenage girls and she found that when girls get to a certain age, they, they kind of diminish to not, bother um, the other people around them and withdraw and reduce themselves and I see that again and again and in really subtle and unconscious ways how mothers do it to their kids, friends do it to each other, partners do it to each other, that that lack of emotional muscle to be able to be with the uncomfortable and be with the whole and be different. So, do you think, just based on that,
0: because of what you're what you're saying about this unconscious sort of fight flight mechanism that women have, that's a little bit different. This is mend and repair. Um, do you think that we, as women, then naturally will try and fix things because you know maybe it's a relationship at work, maybe it's a job I don't like, maybe it's something happening at home. You know, we're constantly ingrained in us is this want and need to fix it at our own
1: detriment. Is that what's happening? Absolutely. I think it's, I talk about um, that patriarchy is not fundamentally about gender inequality. It's about devaluing and denial of the feminine principle and whether that's in a male or female and the feminine principle being to do with that inner world of feelings and the unconscious and so when we don't have access to that we tend to over rely on the conscious and what's black and white and concrete and I always say by the time we're looking at that it's too late it's already appeared but when we can trust that inner sensing, the inner eyes and the inner ears, we can know far more before we actually step into it. And it's a bit like in the original story of Little Red Riding Hood, when she got to the door of her grandmother's house and she loved her grandmother, she did not want to enter, which didn't make sense to her. But her instinct was telling her something. But what gets reinforced in the story is to rely on the realities of outside of you rather than your inner sensings and so often we deny those inner sensing and brush them off and every single woman that i've spoken to over years and years and years when i ask them did you have early warning signs every single woman says yes and that includes me too But we have been taught to disconnect from our body, our feelings and the unconscious. And so that's the three areas that I really work with to support people to connect to the whole of the experience, because we can know so much more than we know. And some people might think that sounds a bit woo-woo, but we actually can know an extraordinary amount. So... What you're what you're saying
0: here is something that um, I'm, a, I'm I'm an advocate for, which is absolutely trusting our inner our inner instincts, our intuition, this inner knowing. So you mentioned that you asked a lot of women, you know, did they get a sense um, of you know something not being right, and they all said, yeah. Did you then go on and ask them why didn't you act on it? What stopped you from listening to it? So is there any um, data or any sort of story around why
1: women aren't listening to that. I think from what my conversations with women, what has been most clear and dominant for me is that a lot of the time women are mislabeling what is going on in their experience and so when they're mislabeling and misattributing what is going on, they're often shouldering a lot of blame and inaccuracy about what's going on. And so, and, and we have those sayings like it takes two to tango and, you know, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And we take on too much responsibility and don't ask the other person to be accountable for for their own actions and so on. For me, there's been a lot of confusion. And when we have confusion, we don't take action. When we have overwhelm, overwhelm is an indicator of trauma. We often think trauma is those terrible things we hear out in the news. But trauma can appear in many contexts. And as soon as we have overwhelm, our system doesn't feel resourced or internally or externally supported to negotiate what's going on. And there's an involuntary disconnect from one or more elements of our experience. So when a a woman is in a relationship and they're mislabeling things and they're in overwhelm, they can't take the action. But one of the things I came to about why women don't take action is because I think there's certain pieces that our parents haven't taught us about relationships. Because when I wrote in my book, I I wrote pages and pages of all of the reasons why women stay. And, you know, there's a lot of research about the financial complexities, children, fear for your life, lots of serious relevant reasons that make it difficult to get away. when I escaped, I didn't have money. I didn't have safety. He would told me clearly he had a way to kill me and hide my body. So I, di- I didn't even have family support back then. We didn't have communication. I didn't have friends. I was very isolated. I had nothing. And I hear a time and time again of women escaping when they don't have all the boxes ticked or significant boxes ticked. So it got me thinking, well, What's going on here? And for me, there's a whole lot of events that can come up. But I think the reason why we don't act on those red flags in the early days is it's really clear when someone is loving to us. We move towards them. It feels good. We engage with it. Yeah. If someone is totally oppressive, then we don't tend to move towards them. We know, we've been taught, again, keep away from those people, yeah? But very often I find our parents haven't known how to teach us how to be with someone when they show a best and a worst face, and so as soon as we see a best and a worst face, we, we can go into overwhelm, disconnect, and then we over rely on specific beliefs that say he's stressed or this or that, something else. And we start to do a this or that instead of looking at the whole because we don't have that emotional muscle to be able to be with the whole. And I think it, it very often... Starts to get set up in childhood when our parents, no matter how effective they are, often don't have much tolerance to being with owning their own worst face. And so we learn when we're, when we're dependent for our lives and our brain hasn't finished developing we learn at a young age when other people can't tolerate being owning their worst face and we learn to accommodate that and very often what happens is if they've got to be the ideal and the good and the best and we're little and we don't know what to do with the other we make it about us and we start believing that there's something wrong with us or we're defective in So it puts us at a disadvantage when we go out into relationships because we don't know how to be with the best and the worst face of someone. So if we've got
0: parents listening right now, yeah. how, what, what can they do to prepare their children to be able to navigate relationships uh, in the future? So what, what can they do in their own relationship now to set their children up for success?
1: Really important question. It's a lot about being able to be with the uncomfortable and to think about your feelings and feel about your thinking, rather than shut down on being with the experience and looking at what do you avoid or what do you derail and detour from. Or what what feels unthinkable and unbearable and getting some mind-body skills to help you to be able to be more present and communicate and talk about what's going on. I do uh, one of the workshops that I do is about protecting our children and everything that I teach, For what to do to help protect your children if you're not walking the talk and doing it for yourself children don't follow what you say it's what you do Mm. so a lot of it is about doing your own personal work but there's some distinctive experiences that I can recall with when I've been with my grandchildren and I've seen other parents with their children that have blown me away that may be relevant to share, to help, because we get in our our habits about what we see and, and how we respond to things. I was with my granddaughter one day, and a friend of hers came over with his mother, and my granddaughter was feeling a bit shy, and she didn't want to engage with him. And he kept trying to engage with her, but she didn't want to. Well, the mother of the boy then started saying, oh, that means she likes you. And so my granddaughter had moved to the point of standing beside me to going behind me because she was sending social cues that I don't want to engage. He didn't know how to respond. And the mother was, was doing that mislabeling because she didn't want her son to feel rejected i'm assuming that on some level now there was a beautiful opportunity where that she missed to teach her son to be able to be with the whole be with the uncomfortable and not blame because we do an awful lot of blaming as adults if she'd have been able to say to her son She doesn't want to play right now. That might make you feel a bit uncomfortable or sad. What do you want to do? Or how can I help be there for you? Yeah, but rather than she made out a a distortion of reality. And so we've got to be really mindful about what we're communicating, not just with our children, but what our children are seeing and hearing and what we're even thinking there. They're not hearing or seeing, but they are about how we are in our all our relationships. what a what a
0: great example because for me, my mind because I understand, How our childhood experiences, I I teach very similar principles as you, how childhood experiences can then form our program as an adult. So if we use that story as an example, there is a possibility and a potential, I'm not saying it's going to happen, that that young boy will be around uh, a female who doesn't want to be with him and she's sending signals, no, no, no. And in his head, he's saying, she likes me. Yeah. Say, yes, I can go after her. No means yes. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot about that with people, um, men thinking, and they don't realise that the the parents have potentially planted that with some uh, misappropriation of trying to make them feel better instead of actually, as you're saying, looking at the whole circumstances and showing them how to deal with discomfort, maybe rejection.
1: Mm. And I think it's so important that we teach our girls that it's okay that someone is disappointed or upset or doesn't like what we do and there's even a place for interrupting someone and that we don't have to mirror them because physiologically even I don't know if you've heard that research that our hearts all have their own rhythm that they beat by but the HeartMath Institute have done some studies and when the heart rate comes in a certain distance between each other they'll start beating in the same rhythm we're such social beings of wanting to connect and we need to encourage our our girls that it's okay to interrupt and it's okay to do what's right for you even if another person is disappointed because they have to learn how to be with self-soothing themselves if something doesn't go the way I want, they want but don't betray yourself to, you know to support another person
0: and I think it's really important that we speak the same way for for young boys as well because um, we can be very general here and yes I know that a lot of a lot not all but a lot of the problems that we have with relationship abuse majority of it is male um, it, it's caused by male, but there are a lot of females out there as well women who have been brought up in not the best circumstances who lead to abusive relationships um, who become very dominant in relationships and they have some of the the subtle abuse as well and so I think we've also got to be mindful that this isn't just a this isn't just something for for women this is something that happens on both sides of the fence as well um, but I think because you're very focused on, because you are a female and I'm, you know, we're both females, we can speak from this experience. So yes. uh, yeah, we've got to be
1: mindful that it happens both ways. I agree and that's why I say this is, domestic violence is not about gender inequality because I have worked with same-sex relationships, female and male, and I've also worked with men that have been abused by, by women. And so I absolutely agree. Mm. it it is an issue all the way around Um, and there's a lot of psychological abuse um, and punishment um, emotionally from women to men that is very very destructive and hopefully all people realise nowadays that um, psychological and emotional and verbal abuse Most people would say that that's more damaging than physical abuse because we've received that social recognition that you know Physically harming someone or sexually harming someone is not okay, but the other attacks our sense of self and can get much more slippery to um, We know when there's a bruise or something that that's wrong, but when we're bruised internally It's it's incredibly impactful and I, when I have worked with men they've never come in the room and believed that they were in an abusive relationship and it was me feeding back what they were saying to them and saying you were actually describing in an abusive relationship and I can recall one man saying he was you know he was a big strong man um is saying but I'm not scared of her and I said you don't have to be scared of someone to be in an abusive relationship, but what I'm hearing you describe, and you've used these exact words yourself, not me, you walk on eggshells. And if you don't do what she wants, the holiday, the restaurant, the decisions, all have to be what, you, what she wants. And if she doesn't get it, she doesn't speak to you. She punishes you. So there's a pattern of control. And punishment and denial of the other person um, and financial abuse too because you know he, she, he was providing everything and and she was manipulating um, and you know he had such a beautiful gentle heart he he was the one that didn't have the boundaries to go no that's too much so absolutely yeah
0: and I think we we sometimes forget about that that mental that mental abuse it's it's very very toxic and a lot of people don't realize that they're in a relationship that is actually toxic for them so are there any cues or anything that someone can sort of sit back and put a lens over their relationship just to see whether they are potentially in a relationship that may not be for their best interest, but they're not realizing it. Or maybe the intuition saying this isn't quite right. They're not acting on it. Maybe this will validate some of the things for them. So are there any key signs?
1: Sure. The For people that want to really know more depth about the key signs, if you go to my website, anitabentata.com, there's two free downloads that, specifically goes into that one of them is a checklist about if you've got questions about the status of your relationship and so you can read through that checklist but also there's another um, very comprehensive document there about the 34 myths to do with domestic violence and if we don't have clarity about what domestic violence is we do a lot of mislabeling, And so naming is really, really important. If like, I've got this cup here, if I don't in my mind have a name for it out of everything in my room, I won't know what to pick up. Naming allows us to take an action and is really, really powerful because it brings clarity and separation. It's just like if you go into the supermarket and you see, all of the brands that we've got nowadays for one product, unless you know a specific name of what one you want, you can get overwhelmed by all the all of the choice that's out there. So being able to be really clear about what is abuse mm-hmm. or and what is toxic. And so if you go into my blogs as well, there's a, a blog there that describes the difference between abuse and and toxic relationships, but in the end, if you feel uncomfortable and if you don't feel like you can be yourself or you get punished for it in some way, it can be indirectly punished, then it's just not good. And if the other person can't tolerate you speaking about your reality and they deny your reality, your feelings, your choices. Then that's a big red flag. If you're hearing blame and jealousy, um, or if it's in the early part of a relationship, it's moving really fast. Um, you know, they're are all you know red flags to mm. to look at.
0: Yeah, I want to I want to double back a little bit around the intuition piece because we were we were going we were talking about that and I think that goes hand in hand with what you're talking about now is really listening because sometimes the red flags are there and you the red flags are actually a little bit of a feeling too you'll feel something intuitively and knowing whether something is right or wrong for you so. For me personally, um, I ended a relate or didn't end a relationship. I was- had a relationship end many years ago. It's coming up for about twenty years now. Um, but I intuitively, it's really interesting the whole story. That originally, when we were getting married, the day of our wedding, I thought I just had bride's nerves, but I was sensing something wasn't right. Mm. And I didn't sleep at all the night before. I felt horrible the day of my wedding. Mind you, I haven't told anyone this, so now it's going out into public, <laughs> um, but that's okay. So I was really feeling something wasn't right. Um, then, you know, seven years later, my my husband was having a, an affair with his childhood sweetheart. Um, now, he hadn't had it the whole time through the marriage, but I started to sense something wasn't right at this like six, seven year point. And then it turns out in a story. Now, I don't know if there's truth to this story or not, but this is what I've been told is that His childhood sweetheart was actually wanting to come and stop the wedding. Now, I didn't know. We went ahead with the wedding. So my intuition was actually telling me something's not right. I didn't know what it was, but I thought it was fear. And then I went through six years of a, a relationship. It was a good relationship, but there were always little signs that maybe something's not quite right and i would like you saying i'd put an oh it's just stress cuz we've got a business it's just stress because of this and then it started to obviously get um get worse and worse so i i want to i want to help our listeners understand how to listen to that intuitive inner voice and then what sort of what does it take what's the courage to act on it so for you you escaped something what i'm understanding is a very toxic and potentially abusive
1: relationship. What gave you the courage? In in the end, what allowed me to escape was he ended up going into hospital. And when he was in hospital, because I had a break from that daily pressure, my the fog from... Because when you're in overwhelm and stress, the two hemispheres of the brain, they they disconnect. And so you're in a fog and you actually lose access to the frontal cortex where you can process the detail of things and the feeling of things. And so when he was in hospital, it was like that fog lifted and there was just such a clarity. And I'll always remember this day I was taking dinner to the dining table to my two daughters. And I just felt such joy and ease and spaciousness and beauty and light the room just felt really light and it was like oh this is the way it's meant to be and so when he came back from hospital i said i'm taking my life back and he said well he'll train an a 16 year old to take my place kind of thing and then he backtracked on that and said that if i left he'd commit suicide and so then there was all that attempt to control but because he was still recovering from hospital He wasn't his strong self he was still you know he was on medication and he wasn't as active so I felt like I had more safety I really don't know if I would have been able to escape if he hadn't have been in hospital Mm. and um, been recuperating and I felt so guilty leaving when he was recuperating but I knew deep down that this was not about him, whatever was going on with his health. He'd been like this from day one and that I needed to get out for my girl's sake, let alone for my sake. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, yeah, it was like that window of opportunity that enabled, but I I so love what you said about um, your beautiful sharing to do with your, the night before your wedding, because that listening to that, little, that when I talk about Little Red Riding Hood, I talk about the woodcutter gives us three messages that no matter where we are in our life, we'll all benefit from. And the first thing the woodcutter does is he pays attention to the little. When he's out in the woods, if he hears something little, he pays attention to it. He takes it seriously because it could be a wolf prowling or it could be a tree coming down. And so because he pays attention to the little, he's on track. And the next thing he does is when he hears the sound of the wolf snoring and he registers, that doesn't sound right. He doesn't go, that's none of my business or I don't know what that's about, I'll just ignore it. He barges in. He's willing to take a risk. And that's what I think... The thing is that when we pay attention to that inner wisdom, we've got to be willing to take a risk. We've got to step into the unknown. And I think we get so uncomfortable about doing that. We want to know before we can know. And that's what trips us up. The next thing, the third thing that the woodcutter does is that he cuts the wolf to get Little Red Riding Hood out. So he is willing to be with the messy and the complicated to get to what is good and important. And so if we can do those three things, then we can help minimise the years that we are sensing that something's not quite right. Mm. And it can, when we keep doing that, we create this momentum that is so enhancing for our clarity and our confidence to be able to trust that inner knowing and every now and then I might like you know I'll pick up something and then I'll go, yeah, I truly believe this is so, but I might just experiment, and see what will happen. And it always, without a doubt, is confirmed for me. Always. So it really can reassure, you know, go with those inner sensings.
0: Mm. Mm. And look, I love the I love the connection with little Red Riding Hood here. It's absolutely wonderful. And the woodcutter. So when you're talking about the woodcutter, I'm thinking about, okay, so let's say I'm Little Red Riding Hood and I'm in an an abusive or a toxic relationship with a wolf. The woodcutter can represent your family, your friends, um, or it could be you as an onlooker seeing somebody in your own life who um, may be telling you things. And if you notice the small little things that they're saying, you may be able to actually help them escape and it might be messy or is, is that part of it too, is us be, being observers for our friends and so forth, we can then become the woodcutter?
1: Absolutely. I think also that <clears throat> there's always more than one possibility. And one possibility is to uphold the wonder of Little Red Riding Hood and the generosity of her spirit. We need an inner woodcutter to protect the innocence, otherwise the innocence of Little Red Riding Hood becomes naivety and we get caught. And, you know, just like when I was living with the wolf, I thought that if I was compassionate and assertive and understanding, then everything would work out. Because if I'm being fair, the other person's going to be fair. But no one taught me that the wolf takes advantage of those beautiful qualities. And so we need that woodcutter within ourselves. But if we are in a family or friendships or work setting and we see someone else in need of a woodcutter, then I absolutely am a big one for speaking out. Because my belief is that if we all have one little conversation with someone, that person's going to be getting it from all fronts and it's going to be harder for them to minimise or disconnect from what's going on. Mm. And that's actually the primary reason that I wrote my book. One, because the women, when I was running domestic violence groups early in my career, asked me to write it to help people understand why women stay. But the personal reason why I wrote the book was because my family never spoke to me while I was in the relationship about any concerns they had. And after I escaped, when I realised it was abusive and I went to my family and said, I'm leaving, it's an abusive relationship, then I started hearing from one family member that she used to cry when she'd leave my house. And after I wrote my book, and this is Twenty more than 20 years later, and another family member saying that they used to talk to each other. And then I said, but you didn't talk to me. And and one family member said, yes, I did. And I thought, oh my God, have I gone amnesic? Have I forgotten something? Do I need to call the editor back before the book's (laughs) gone to print and, and change something? And I asked, what did you say? And this family member had said, he shouldn't talk to you that way and that was it now that's about him it's not about me and it's not pacing me where i was at it didn't help me it didn't offer anything for me to hold on to and this is actually i'm i'll be launching in a in a couple of months my next book transforming uncomfortable conversations where i teach you for any situation how to have an uncomfortable conversation to get to a transformative and constructive thing because in the end the betrayal I felt from my family stayed with me far longer than the abuses that he perpetrated on me that was more damaging for me and impacted our connection with each other and the whole family connection Mm. and that that was just you know, I realised when I was writing my book and I was reflecting over what had happened that we used to talk to each other. I used to see my family, and but it would be me reporting, "Oh, this happened in court," or "This breach happened," or "This is happening with the trauma with the children." But it was just like me reporting. There wasn't a a way of what do I need or how to be with me practically or emotionally. That was really missing. And I felt very alone. Mm. Um, And I, I think they were quite shocked to discover that that was my experience. But back then, I was so busy in survival mode and trying to help my daughters and I heal. I didn't have the energy or the clarity to explain to them. I needed them to get educated. And so I actually have an education online program for anyone that wants to be educated. so that they can be more aware and mindful of what's going on in for prevention or in intervention in their mm. relationships. The intervention piece is, is really interesting
0: because I know when there's been things in the, in my own past, when um, might've been with a relationship that wasn't quite right and you know, you end it and then someone goes, Oh yeah, we knew that was going to happen. We knew that weren't right for you. And you go, well, why the hell didn't you say something, you know, because we get so caught up in it ourselves that we we make, uh, we make excuses for the other person or we just think, oh, you know, this is just the way life is. Or we get caught, and as you're saying, we get caught up in the overwhelm that we can't think straight for ourselves. So sometimes we do need that intervention and that person to, to say something to sort of snap us out of it. Mm. But I want to I just touch on one other thing before we sort of finish up, because this has been, just while you've been talking, this has been sort of just floating around in my head. We may have some people listening who may not be a victim um, or somebody who's at the other end, but they may not be aware that they're actually a perpetrator. So sometimes we don't know that we are um, causing disharmony or causing someone to be in a state of overwhelm because we're not physically hurting someone. So you spoke before about the gentleman who came to one of your courses or he was one of your clients and he was being controlled by his wife. His wife may not have known she was actually doing that. It might not be a conscious thing. It's just subconsciously her program that she's running. That's just the way she is. If there's anyone listening that may be going, oh gosh, am I like that? What would be some what would be some telltale signs that perhaps they need to work on themselves to potentially move themselves out of being a perpetrator of this?
1: Yes. And I know I did say it was perpetrated on me. And I just want to clarify because I, the reason I also call him the wolf is because I don't ever call someone the abuser or because they, that doesn't, necessarily define them Mm. and if we talk about them being the perpetrator or the abuser then we're not helping them see the fullness of themselves and so I, I think the first thing is if we can start to change our language all of us because when someone's got shame they're not going to look at what they're doing and so I think as a culture if we can be mindful of the language that we use and I tend to say the person that used abuse, um, so that it's a behavior rather than the identity of the person. And I like that. So
0: it'd be for somebody who, so in the instance of the gentleman you're talking about before, um, for somebody who was using control to make themselves feel better or to get what they wanted, what they needed for themselves yeah control maybe using abuse maybe they're not actually an abuser or a a controller they're using this mechanism because that's all they know it's a
1: tactic yeah yeah for whatever reason but if someone is wondering oh how do i find out if i have some of those behaviors and that i want to take a look at that and maybe make some changes is if everybody starts to look at what they blame in their life and um, start to change that, then we will have a incredibly different society and interactions with each other. So starting to catch yourself, if you find whether to yourself in your head or out loud, you're blaming other people or other situations instead of, what can I do about this right now so that I can feel better or uh, yeah that's a really key part Um, the I don't know if I've answered that fully for you
0: yeah so I, I look it's just more more interesting for people that I think some people don't realize that they they have behaviors that don't support a loving relationship Um, And it might even be a work relationship. It could be an intimate relationship. So, you know, there's an opportunity for people that are listening to think, well, hang on a minute. And I think what you're saying is really powerful. Hang on a minute. Let me just check. Let me just put a lens over. In my life, am I causing anyone to feel the way that Anita's felt or that other person's felt? Am I actually, uh, do I have some behaviours that need to change? And what you're just saying here is think about what are you blaming for what's happening in your life?
1: yeah the other thing as well as blame would be start to question and become curious about um your are you denying the other person's feelings or thoughts or is there room for them to both exist and the important thing is can the other person's feelings and thoughts affect you because when we're in a toxic relationship it's the person that's using toxic tactics is the one affecting the other person and it's not the other way around. If you want to get more clarity about it, I've got an e-book on my website called Crazy Making Verbal Emotional Abuse Explained. And there I list, I think it's, oh, it's about 34 tactics that are verbal, emotional, psychological abuse. And I describe what the behaviour is and then I describe what it is when you're not being the one using abuse but you may be doing something similar so that that may help people get clarity about where they stand. Mm yeah good because i
0: really wanted to make sure that we 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 look at both angles here because there yes there is and i don't like using terms victim and perpetual um i don't like those terms either but that's unfortunately what society is going to identify with at the moment but there's always there's always two sides you know we can't have a victim without somebody who is causing the, the the trauma um and so forth so there's this I'm going to say there's a little bit of a tango and even though you say it takes two to tango early, it's something we don't talk about, but there is, there is a relationship dynamic going, going on here. And I think if we can look at what we've done and what you've helped us understand is yes, there are two sides, but if you are somebody who is on the side where you're, you do have tactics that are a little bit toxic, maybe it's time that you take a look at yourself and get some help. Um, before it's too late as well and also those people who maybe are in a relationship that has been going on too long and the person's not willing to own it they're still blaming everywhere they're not owning their their tactics that um, maybe it is time to listen and, and do something about that
1: yes the the thing that I find really important is I think so much of us don't like naming abuse or domestic violence because it sounds so shocking Mm. and we have got pictures and images of it in a particular way, like the woman cowering and bruised on the ground kind of thing. But that's just a stereotype. And if we can get over the label and just think about what's toxic and what's healthy and life-giving and allowing, then we can realise that so many of us have, in our family history, abuses of some sort and traumas of some sort. And so if we can just get over where we've all got it somewhere. And so don't get all worried about the naming and the label, even though it's important to identify, don't get stuck there because it's predominant in our culture. And so if we can just stop getting defensive about the label and just look at it practically, okay, there's things going on and I'd like to feel better um, and take a look at it. But it does take emotional muscle and courage. and But it is possible if, mm. if we all stop getting because a lot of women don't even like to say the word domestic violence or abuse. It freaks out a lot of people. Um, but that means if we can't say it and know cl- with clarity what it is, then we keep being blind to what's going on in our relationships. And it, it happens a lot to different degrees. I hear it out in the world all the time. Mm. Look, oh. I'm
0: hearing it a lot, um, and this is going to be really interesting. This is probably a whole nother conversation, and we're not gonna, I don't think we'll go down this rabbit hole right now, but I'm hearing a lot from some of the circles I'm moving in the corporate world where there are uh, unfortunately female bosses in leadership roles who are actually they're they're actually abusing their female subordinates, but they don't realize they don't and they're not physical abuse, yes. but it's this emotional abuse, um, because and I don't know why I said because, but I really don't know why. Potentially it's because we, if we go back to what you've mentioned earlier, the masculine and the feminine, they're trying to step in, bring their feminine side into the masculine and, and be, uh, be masculine and patriarchal in a, in a role where they can actually do a lot better if they just listen to their intuition and be their whole self, be their, be their true self. But there is a bit of that going on in, uh, in the workplace as well.
1: Oh, it, there's quite a lot of that going on, and, and in friendships too, where I, I see it as absolutely like what you're saying. There's the denial of the feminine principle in the self. It's like they've I've got to put this on and just be... And th- there's nothing wrong with the masculine principle. The masculine principle is beautiful when it's connected to the feminine principle. It only gets regressive when it's disconnected from the feminine principle. Mm. And we need our masculine principle to that's the one that takes our feminine principle knowings out into the world and can stand and protect them and unfortunately there is a lot of women that have taken on that that thing of denying the feminine and just being with the masculine—it's it's very toxic. And I have women talking to me about that experience too in the workplace, and and being hesitant to be in women's groups even because they've experienced that so much.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I yeah, I'm I don't I, I subscribe to many women's groups because of that. Um, and here's something that's really interesting, just on that that topic of you know the the women thinking we need to be very masculine, I'm in the process of uh, creating a, a leadership program for women, it's called The Awakened Leader. And the person I'm creating it with, we thought we need an, we need an image for this, you know, for the, for the marketing and everything. So we Googled, we thought, let's find female leader, woman leader, women in leadership. And it's all women in male stances or with a super cape on, or it's just all these very masculine, just a woman in a masculine pose.
1: Yeah, and or they're wearing they're that kind of really suit. annoyed. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah so yeah. it's been perpetuated through the media that we need to be this strong, masculine person as well, and and people in the workplace are stepping into that and not realizing the damage that they're doing with their with their teams because they're not they're not balancing and using and pushing the pushing and pulling the levers that they need to, and masculine and femininity come together. So. Yeah we're yeah. off the topic a little bit but that's
1: okay. <laughs> oh it's it's still really relevant because this is how it lives out in the world and it reminds me of when I first started because I've moved from psychotherapy one-on-one practice and I run talks and workshops and and a whole lot of things now. When I first started speaking another female speaker when she heard that I'm a speaker said oh you've got to change what you wear and your clothes and your shoes and everything and it's like no I'm gonna wear my style of clothes my barefoot shoes which are not heels and I'm gonna have my fullness of my hair it's like we need to have the variety of the images of because we are so unique and we need to celebrate that. Not being now,
0: narrow. <laughs> I agree, but here 's one of the things that can be um, I had a discussion very similar to this with somebody because I was at a leadership event recently, and I was, I was speaking and I was chairing the day, and I said to them, "This is really funny, but this is what I do, and i 'm doing it consciously. I do not like wearing corporate clothes, but because I know of how the corporate worlds twenty two years there." i know the majority of the perceptions that they have the paradigms and the lens they see the world through i will so that i get not so that they feel comfortable with me i will dress like them even though i'd rather turn up in my yoga gear (laughs) but here's the thing it's because i get that and i can turn up in my own gear but i'm thinking if i want these people to listen to me and pay attention the first thing is they're going to look at who I am, because the first thing they see, and they're gonna in a second judge me. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: And so I'm either going to have them or not in the first five seconds. Mm. So and that's just a sub that's just a subconscious perception that they have. Mm. But I know I know that's happening. So mm. sometimes I make a conscious choice as to what I'm going to wear, and maybe if I'm doing something over a couple of days. I will dress for them on day one, then on the next days it's me because I've already won you over. But it's yeah. interesting, the reason I'm saying that is it's interesting how, and I think it's starting to shift, we have these perceptions of how we must look.
1: Yeah, yeah. We make so many assumptions and perceptions and that those attributions and The labelling that is so inaccurate. And even when we're talking with each other, someone says something and we think we know what they mean when they say it. But we really can benefit and get such greater intimacy and clarity in our communications if we can ask can you tell me what you mean when you say that? Because I don't want to assume my meaning of that is identical to yours. I'm saying that all the time when I'm working with someone because I want to hear the detail of their interface with it, how they experience it. I don't want to hear a repeat of how I see it. And it brings such gifts, such
0: gifts. Mm. And that's the thing. It's your ability to perceive things in a different way, isn't it? And that it's again comes back to that being curious and mm. really listening because so much of that goes on the world would be such a better place if we all had that listening skill where we clarified this is what you've just said i've got my view on how i what i think you mean but can you just expand on that a little bit so i'm sure we're on
1: the same page when you do that magic happens it does that's why i teach people about how to understand the unconscious defence system so that they can have their map all the time for themselves so that they can then grab when they've gone into a defence and then uh, uh, missing those gifts and opportunities in the moment because you can do something about it when you know the map. Mm. Mm. Excellent.
0: I want to thank you so much. We've had an amazing conversation today There's so much information there for people and so many insights as well. So a couple of things I want to uh, ask you is how can people get in contact with you if they are interested in either your work, one of your workshops or anything like that?
1: What's the best way to get in contact? Well, you can go to my website, anitabentata.com or my email, anita at anitabentata.com. That's probably the, the easiest way. And then you can gra- grab the free, free items there as well and see w- what I do. Um, and yeah, email me, just email me and say what um, got you curious or inspired you about this conversation and and we can start a conversation and find out what it is that, maybe might be a good fit in because I've got such a range of programs and products and possibilities so ask me questions I'm a great believer in taking action that's why my business name is activating Artemis because I think we've become so passive and shaped and defined by so much around us and we need to activate our brain activate our instincts and activate Becoming curious, asking questions, finding out what's possible. I love it.
0: And I, your book, I know if they just do a Google search, uh, "The Wolf in a Suit," they'll be able to grab a copy of your book if they, uh, if they're interested in that. Um yeah. Sounds like I might have to grab a copy of that too. So, well, <laughs> awesome. So, as we finish up, is there a, a final message or something you would like to leave our listeners with um, as they go about their their day today?
1: Okay, so just for to add, if people can find me on Facebook and Instagram too, Instagram under my name or on Facebook under the either my business name or um, my book name. I've got two pages. but for a, a parting message, I really encourage people to again become curious and learn about these things that I'm talking about and don't say this is nothing to do with me because you don't know whether it will be you in the future or your daughter or your best friend or a work colleague, someone's going to you're going to have a conversation one day. And the beautiful thing is that all these skills and maps and things that I talk about are relevant just for life in being connected to being in the fullness of who we are and engaging with the fullness of life and being active in it. So I really encourage you, stay curious. Don't shut things off with presuppositions about what you need to know, because it will transform how you relate to your own stress or communication or trusting yourself. It will transform so much and you don't even have to know anyone living with abuse to, to benefit from this knowledge.
0: Awesome. So I love that. Just stay curious. That's the whole theme. So you and I speak the same language. So be curious, everyone. Go and learn more. Go and um, go and top up what you already know. So thank you so much, Anita. It's been an absolute pleasure and delight having a chat with you and going into some topics that not a lot of people talk about as well. So really great to bring that to the surface. I really appreciate your your time and your wisdom today. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Georgia. It's just been a, a delight being with you.
0: Thank you for listening in with the conversation with Anita. I really enjoyed uh, hearing some of her insights and some of her wisdom as well. And I'm sure you did. Uh, once we finished the, the podcast, it's quite interesting. We continue to have a, a conversation and um, I wish I'd actually recorded it, but I didn't, unfortunately. But one of the key things we said was that if if you are finding that you are at the end, of, at the, the receiving end of some form of a toxic relationship abuse, whether it be at work or in your in your home life and your personal life, that if you step into your power, and the more of us that step into our power, the people who are toxic and aren't willing to change, they they no longer have people that they can that that they can use um, to satisfy their their shame or to satisfy uh, their the need to control. So I'm going to encourage you that if you are in that situation to seek help, seek somebody like Anita, um, talk to a family member and do something about it. Because what happens is a principle in physics that as, as one, as we start to all vibrate together and as we start to all stand up for ourselves and what we know is right for a human experience, more people begin to follow. And what also happens is the people who are potentially lost and maybe the ones that are trying to control they will start to make change and want to change as well the power is within us thank you so much for being curious and uh, have a wonderful day and please keep listening to the podcast we've got some amazing guests lined up for you
1: today is turning into the most curious adventure i've ever had